Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nice Work, a podcast about the Super Nice Club, where we're just trying to make the world 10% nicer. If you're not already a member, you can learn more about us by, you know, just typing Super Nice Club into your computer doohickey thing. Find us on the Instagram or on the Facebook or just text Nice Work to 310-421-0393. Nobody has paper or pen anymore, but I'm just going to pretend you do. 310-421-0393. And we'll send you a little something in the mail. Matter of fact, if you own a pencil, you're my hero today. Send me a picture of a pencil that you own, and I'll send you a little something in the mail. Seriously, writing implements just... You know, see, when I see people in like a coffee shop writing something by hand, I usually stop and go, man, you're awesome. Is that me being weird or is that just me recognizing uh, something that we're losing touch with? I don't know. doesn't really matter. doesn't have anything to do with this episode. I'm not going to segue into an interview with somebody from Dixon Ticonderoga or anything. But uh, this is a great episode, though, because we get into the coolest thing in the world, maybe the super nicest thing, dogs. Cats are nice. Okay, true. But dogs are super nice. Sorry, sorry cat people. Sorry Natasha Kinski. Okay, a little history into why dogs are the coolest. But cats are still really cool, except for the whole Toxoplasma Gandhi thing that infects human brains and retards the development of babies and children. Super not cool. Keep your babies away from kitty litter is all I can say. Okay, really, cat lovers, don't leave. I love cats, sort of. So check it out. Six million years ago, towards the close of the Miocene era, the Earth's climate gradually cooled. This would lead to the glaciations of the Pliocene and the Pleistocene. Or maybe it's the Pliocene or the Pliocene. I don't know. It's a scene. Lots of scenes, which are commonly referred to as the Ice Age. And only those species of creatures that adapted to those changes would survive. That's us. That's me. We survived. Yay, humans! In southern North America, small woodland foxes grew bigger and better adapted to running, and by the late Miocene, the first of the genus Canis had arisen, the ancestors of coyotes, wolves, and the domestic dog. In eastern Africa, a split occurred among the large primates. Some remained in the trees, while others came down from the trees, learned to walk upright, developed larger brains, and in the more open country, learned to avoid predators while becoming predators themselves. The ancestors of humans and dogs would ultimately meet in Eurasia. Cool. In historical times, mutual respect and cooperation with canines can be found in the stories and traditions of the indigenous peoples of Siberia, East Asia, North America, and Australia. The domestication of the dog predates agriculture. The archaeological record and genetic analysis show the remains of the Bon Obercastle, maybe, dog buried beside humans super cute, 14,200 years ago to be the first undisputed dog. I just kind of think of like these little skeletons, like the humans kind of um, spooning up against the dog. That's not weird. It's cute, okay? Genetic studies show that dogs and modern wolves display reciprocal monophily, monophily, reciprocal something, separate groups, which implies that dogs are not genetically close to any living wolf population and that the wild ancestor of the dog is extinct. And that's kind of a bummer, right? We always say like our dogs are little wolves, but they're not. They're totally domesticated and they're really only good for bringing us beers, which means small dogs are pretty much entirely useless. They're pretty much cats. 
But big dogs, they can bring us root beer, are amazing. And that brings us to our guest, finally, if you're still awake, Paige Mazzoni, CEO of Canine Companions International, or, gotta have an acronym, CCI. Yep, CCI was the very first, the originators of the concept of assistance dogs for people with physical disabilities. Since way back in 1975, before there was really, before there was really anything cool in the world, definitely before the greatest movie in history, Buckaroo Banzai was released. You thought I was gonna say Star Wars, right? No. Buckaroo Banzai was released to transform storytelling totally across like all cultures, even, even retroactively, because in the future there will be time machines so they, 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 that they use to go back and tell people about Buckaroo Banzai. So even before that, CCI has been breeding, training, and uniting incredible dogs with loving humans to form inspirational teams. Canine Companions for Independent Service Dogs, they're partnered with adults with physical disabilities to assist with daily tasks and increase independence by reducing reliance on other people, which that's something we can all use sometimes, right? A service dog can pull their partner in a manual wheelchair. They can push buttons for elevators uh, or automatic doors and even do crazy stuff like assist with business transactions by transferring money, receipts, packages. Yes, really. How cool is that? Canine Companion Skilled Companion can also serve as a tool to assist in developing independent living skills as well as integrated into structural therapies. I'm sorry, structured therapies and utilized to facilitate social interactions. Not only can a skilled companion dog make their physical lives easier, it can boost confidence, feelings of self-sufficiency and responsibility which is incredibly super nice. So whether they're, they're pulling a wheelchair, pushing buttons, being the literal ears for the hearing impaired, uh, helping for PTSD support for veterans, or just fetching and cracking open an ice cold Modelo Negra, these dogs are totally incredible. But before they can help humans, these super canines need super people to help them. And that's where our guest, that's where Paige and her team at CCI and their almost 5,000 volunteers across the United States, that's where those come in, those people come in. And that's kind of what we're gonna talk about, like entirely actually in this episode. Nothing nothing about pencils. Um, no more about Buckaroo Banzai, just Paige and dogs and cool stories and how CCI makes magic happen by training, uniting, supporting incredible canine human teams. This is literally life-changing, life-saving work. So turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with Paige Mazzoni. There, did it. Paige Mazzoni, welcome to Nice Work Podcast. Really glad that you're on today. Thanks. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm really thrilled. This is the first canine connection the podcast has made. So that's ah, really cool. High all, time. All nice people love dogs. I'm just going to put it out there. It's we're true. not talking about cats today, which we could, but we're going to talk about dogs. And I love them. I, I mean, I think all nice people love all animals. But dogs, uh, growing up as a kid, I just, I just, there's a, a sense of just safety and security for me that comes from these big dogs I had as a kid. We always had large dogs. Dogs like, are you know, great. 100 yeah. pounds plus. And when you're a little kid, like four years old, leaning into these large animals. Sleep on them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, I have, I, you know, I just, I just, I love dogs. So you're with Canine Companions for Independence. 
Correct. And you're the CEO and you've been there for a couple of years now. Yep. And you get to come in in time. You get to be a COVID CEO, which is great. I know, really exciting. Yeah. I get to be yeah. a fire, COVID, lots of crisis management. Oh, right. The fires as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wh- what city are you in again? Santa Rosa, California. Yeah, you're right in Santa Rosa. So Santa Rosa, folks, is where Super Nice Club headquarters are. They're actually in progress of moving down to Los Angeles, which is um, another city in California that you may have heard of. But Santa Rosa is kind of the city. Um, it's been fires in both. You know, the... Yep. The Super Nice Club headquarters over in, you know, the Bennett Valley area? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, you were so, in the thick of it, yeah. Right, in the thick of it there. And then the house that I'm in now, if I look out, if I go down to the end of my driveway and look left, 200 yards away on this hillside is where fire stopped there by the Getty Center. Oh, wow. In Brentwood. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly So it it's like fire zone to fire zone. Yeah, you know? it's scary. It's, <laughs> it's been crazy. But I'm glad that Sonoma County so far touch... Uh, yeah, my wall. Something. Yeah, has been. Oh wait, here's some wood. There, hear that? Yes. Uh, the things have been good so far. So you're at Canine Companions, and why don't we just jump in with first talking about just an overview of what Canine Companions for Independence is and does um, go. We are a national nonprofit with six campuses, and we provide highly trained service dogs to people with disabilities at no cost. So we breed, raise, train service dogs to do tasks that mitigate the symptoms of the disability or enable someone with a disability to have you know, more independence, more opportunity to, to do all the things they want to do. And you do that at no cost. That has to be a powerfully expensive process. It is. Each dog, just to get them to the point of where we match them with mm-hmm. the client, is about 50000 And then we also follow up for life at no cost. Wow. So that's wow. kind of ongoing training, ongoing tailoring of commands to the person's life. So someone may get home and they may want, there may be a certain kind of medication they have to keep in their refrigerator that they want their dog to be able to recognize and get. And so we can help them tailor the commands to that. So there's all kinds of different things we can do for people once they get home. There's some pretty cool things that learn. So you're talking about carrying beer cans over to their owner's basically, uh, that right? That also yeah. does happen. <laughs> <laughs> that is a thing. <laughs> Sonoma County, they can also open <laughs> bottles of wine. Yeah, I don't know if they can open wine, but there are, there's canned wine now, so they yeah, can get the canned true. wine. That's true. The, the range of what these dogs can be trained to do is staggering. Just it is. We have um, the range from uh, people who work with an individual with a physical disability. So they help someone in a wheelchair or with, you know, neural issues, pick things up. They pull their wheelchairs. They can open doors for them. Um, we have teams that are three-person teams, often a child and an adult who's helping mm-hmm. facilitate the team. But they can... Um, do the same kind of things, bring them toys. They can actually, you know, sit with them while they're reading and help them with reading. They can help them with toy. I've actually watched a dog play a game on a device with a child so they know wow. to respond and hit a certain thing. Um, we have veterans with PTSD who have our dogs and the dogs do things like create space in public for them or block if someone's walking toward the veteran quickly and they're getting kind of nervous, the dog will block and slow down that approach so the veteran can be more comfortable. Um, They do nightmare interruption. So if a veteran's having a nightmare, the dog will tug a blanket or jump on them, whatever method they want, Mm -hmm. and help them wake up out of that nightmare without waking up their spouse or whatever. So 
it's, it is amazing what these dogs can do. Now that's a new pilot program for veterans with PTSD that you just started, right? It is a new program. It is no longer a pilot. It is now being oh. rolled out to other regions. It is an actual program because it has worked. I mean, our veterans tell amazing stories about the what these dogs do for them. Yeah. Wow. That's wonderful. Especially just because these veterans with PTSD, not that I'm a PTSD expert or anything, uh, but they just seem to have such a, a, a struggle finding things that work for them, you know, that aren't medication that put them out. It's, it's not an easy task for them to be able to get through PTSD. And it's often a very invisible disability. It's like we also have hearing dogs who help people who are deaf or hard of hearing. And those are invisible disabilities to a lot of people. And so those people have the challenge of a lot of times people will think there's there's no reason for them to have the dog or they don't really understand when they're out in public without a dog that they can't oh. hear a car coming or they can't hear what you're saying to them. Um, or if, if they are a veteran with PTSD, you know, there's triggers. So there are certain things right. in, an, in airports or in crowded situations that are triggers. And so it helps to have the dog because it's also kind of an awareness issue that, hey, please, you know, if I'm not responding the way you would think I would, maybe there's a reason and be a little gentler with it. So it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. So I read on your website that the concept of assistance dogs, I'm actually reading from it right now, um, <laughs> for people with physical disabilities began with you guys? Like the yes. whole idea started, it says here, in 1975 in a home office and a garage. That is, the, do you know the rest of the story? I want to know the I rest do, of that I story. Do. Okay. So guide dogs started for service dogs for people with blindness. And they were the original kind of service dog. But no one was providing service dogs for people for other problems, for other um, challenges. So we were the first to create service dogs for people with physical disabilities, mobility, hearing, other types of disabilities. And it started um, actually with a woman named Bonnie Bergen, who was one of the founders or the founder of Canine Companions. Um, and this whole category was created. And so we became kind of the standard for how to do this. There's now many, 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 many service dog organizations, but we're also the we were one of the very very first to have the fully accredited PTSD program. So we tend to be a leader in the industry in terms of you know how can we do more? What what can we do next? You've done you guys. They have CCI has graduated and a dog and its um, partner are called teams, right? There's right. teams. Right. Graduated over six thousand teams. Six thousand teams. You know fifty thousand dollars. Expense plus. I mean, this is a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of money, and you're a nonprofit. Correct. So it means fundraising. Right? We raise pretty much 98% of our funding comes from fundraising with individuals, you know, family foundations. We get very, very little funding, um, tiny, tiny bit from the Wounded Warrior um, type grants, mm -hmm. but very, very little. Most of our fundraising is individuals and foundations. You, I want to talk, I want to talk about, I want to talk about you a minute, Paige. I want to talk about you. <laughs> um, you have a background working in corporate America as a CEO, corporate strategy, et cetera. It's sort of a, you know, a healthy corporate background. Is this the first nonprofit gig that you've had? Have you been at nonprofits before? It is the first 
paid nonprofit gig <laughs> I have had. I have been on a lot of nonprofit boards. You've been on boards, and, correct. And yeah, always yeah, yeah. volunteered and, yeah. you know, headed up committees and things. But yeah, this is my first full-time paid nonprofit gig. Now, how does that feel? Because I'm sure when you've been with your other work, I'm trying to remember, I don't have it written down here, but a lot of high companies. tech, Oracle, yeah, a lot of tech, uh, yeah, or Sybase, a lot of high tech startups. And I know there's reward, task based reward often in a lot of these jobs or project based. We've got to run this thing out, you know, but the end of Q1 is a big thing. And then you do it and your team kicks butt and you're like, ah, oh, that felt great, right? But what's the difference in the reward in what you're doing now? It's a great question. Uh, so in for-profit, it's exactly like you said. You have, you know, BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. You go after them, your team, you know, you you have often, not always, but often when you're working in high tech, you have a lot of resources. You, your, your imagination and your willingness to work hard are your limits, right? Um, so that's exciting and great, and you can learn a lot and do a lot fast. When you come to the nonprofit world, the reward is is every day someone tells you you're changing their life. And and that, to me, for the better, usually. So it's such an amazing, soul-enriching, life-changing thing. I, I, I am forever grateful for my for-profit experience and all the lessons I learned and everything I was taught. Um, I mean, I, I never got an MBA. I, I was taught an MBA by a lot of great leaders and a lot of great for-profit companies. Right. Um, but this is really, it's very life-affirming. You know, every day you come to work, and there are hard days and really challenging days, but then someone writes you this beautiful note about how the dog they were placed with every day makes their family better and their marriage better and their life better and their ability to go out. Or a volunteer, we are supported by thousands and thousands of volunteers. We couldn't do what we do without them. They help raise our puppies. They help, you know, whelp our newborns. They, they do so much for us. They fundraise for us. Um, and I, I get letters from volunteers that say, you know, it, it has just enriched my life so much to be part of Canaan Companions and part of this family. And we really have a community. So it's it's a totally different kind of reward. It's, it's not the financial reward. It's not the um, kind of, I don't know, adrenaline rush of you're on the mm-hmm. cutting edge of everything. Mm-hmm. But it's this incredible feeling of what I'm doing matters and it's going to matter in 10 years. And, and, Mm -hmm. and what my team and I do here is just such a worthwhile cause. So it's great. Yeah. Well, you, you really are changing lives, you know, quite a bit, whole, whole families and then the friends of the families and the ripple effect, right? Exactly. And this is a bone that I had to pick with, well, not with you, uh, and no chicken bones around dogs, right? (laughs) None. Yeah, theoretical bone. You know, there can be criticism when people take a look at, let's say they're looking to um, bequeath to a nonprofit, right? And they take a look at the high operating expenses, right? And they look at salaries and stuff. I really don't like that. I mean, the pushback against the high operating expenses of nonprofits, shouldn't we be paying top executives like you top dollar to attract them to this really, really important work that nonprofits do. 
You know, I mean, I think that most nonprofit work, and I might offend some super nice club members, and I apologize, I'm not meaning to, I'm trying to make a point, but I think it's far more vital than creating apps that sell virtual skins and weapons or just about any app ever made, right? Yet we pay people in tech, and I mentioned tech because Santa Rosa is near Silicon Valley and that's just the dominant industry around. We pay people in tech wild salaries and yet we expect folks in the nonprofit world to work for kind of nothing. Or, you know, if we're lucky, somebody like Paige is like, you know what, I've made quite a bit of money. I can now afford, I'm not saying that you can, I just see this happen a lot. Sure. Um, I can now afford to work in nonprofit and take all the lessons that I've learned. That's such a bummer. I think that nonprofits around the US would just get so much more work done if we would just allow them to hire top people. It's an interesting problem. Um... And I think there's different ways to look at it. I, I, I agree that the expectation that people working in nonprofits can make the choice of a living wage versus doing something worthwhile is, is mm-hmm. a, bad, a bad choice to give people. I mean, you have to pay people a living wage. We have a hard time paying our kennel staff and our trainers a living wage. We do. Right. And, and, and a lot of the states we're in... Um, they're making a living wage. We have risen them up to a, a living wage, but it's not, there's no room to breathe. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this right. is not, right. this is not an easy job to do every day. It's a physical job. It's, I mean, it's right. a wonderful job. You're with dogs all day and you're training them, but it's a physical tiring job and it's a hard job. And then they're, they're working to teach clients with a lot of challenges who get frustrated and scared and, and worried yeah. about their ability to do what they're supposed to do. And there's almost a, a social worker type aspect to these trainers jobs that people don't realize, you know, they have to be pretty mature and pretty good at communication and pretty able to handle some emotional stuff. Right. Um, so I agree with you. On the other hand, I think in my experience, a lot of what motivated people in high tech was the endless run after the dollar. And right, right, right. those people will never do well here because you can't be motivated by that. I was never very motivated by money. I was always motivated by learning or the team I was working with or were we doing something really cool. And when I started getting very unmotivated was when I felt like what we were doing was actually damaging the world in some ways. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's when I started getting really unmotivated. Um, So I think it's, it's a, you are, there's this concept of stewarding donor dollars. Well, so I have, I have raised the salaries of some of, some of our positions to get the right people to build the organization, to be able to go where we need to be able to go to serve more people. To me, that is stewarding donor dollars well. And the board has to weigh in and agree on that, but they have for the most part. On the other hand, I think another thing that happens in nonprofits Mm -hmm. is because, to your point, you're maybe hiring less experienced people or you're not paying in some key roles for the expertise on how to build out a process efficiently or how to put in technology to help do things. Sometimes you build four low-paid positions that are covering that are double the cost mm. of maybe two better-paid positions. So I think some of the criticism of is there fat and is there places where you could tighten up 
right. sometimes kind of fair. It's not right. efficient, but the dollar thing, yeah, you can't, you can't hire someone with a lot of experience who's built a career and has a family, especially in a lot of the states we operate in, New York, <laughs> right. California, and expect them to take a $100,000 pay cut. They might take a $50,000 pay cut, mm -hmm. but they're not right. going to take a $100,000 pay cut. Right. Okay. I just want to get that out there. Um, <laughs> I want nonprofit workers to be paid more. That's all. Yeah. And teachers and everybody, and everybody okay? Let's I, all get paid more without inflation, yeah. you know, making up the gap. Um, you were talking about how valuable it is to you to uh, get this feedback from people every day. And your website has a lot of moving stories on there. Do you have any favorites that you can tell? Um. I have some that have hit me particularly um, hard uh, or, well, I guess I should say not hard. Um, one is a graduate who was from the South, was a big athlete, um, went and he tells his story so incredibly well. And he went to college, had a accident, um, was out with friends, spinal cord paralyzed. So Southern athlete. <laughs> um, and he's paralyzed and he talks about, you know, there were four years where he really was in the darkest, darkest, darkest place, like considering all kinds of things you consider when you're in a really bad, dark place. And someone said to him, you should look at service dogs. I can't remember if it was a doctor or a friend, someone said it to him. So this graduate ended up getting one of our dogs talks about how the, the dog, you know, really saved his life. Literally he you know, got him through his difficult phase. He also talks about how being part of the Canine Companions family, which a lot of people talk about, you know, we, we make the match, but then you end up with a relationship with the puppy raiser who helped raise your puppy. And you, you, you become part of this family um, that, you know, has its family squabbles and loves each other and, and really gets through everything together. And he talks about how that community has become so much a part of why he's, he's now, um, a huge athlete. He does a lot of challenge athlete stuff. And he was talking to donors about it. And he said, literally, if someone came to me and said, and I really can never talk about this without crying. Um, I bawled when I heard him tell it the first time. If someone came to me tomorrow and said, you can have back full mobility, no wheelchair, no disability, but you have to give up the 10 years of the Canaan Companions family, he said, without hesitation, I would say no way. And wow. that is a pretty huge testament. That's as big as it gets. That's as big yeah, as it gets. There's no bigger like, testament to that. I'll, I would rather have my disability and this dog and this family than be This is an improved life. Yeah. yeah. This, this is, is a, a better, better life. life. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Which is pretty that's, incredible. So that's that one is. of my absolute that, that's favorites. That's got me a little all crinkly here. Yeah. <laughs> that's it gets that's me. a heck of a story. Yeah. So, what does that look like? He, a friend said, or a doctor, you know, hey, you know, you should look at these dogs. What, what's the process for people? It's got to be a, a kind of a thing. I can't imagine it's prompt, right? No, it's so you start on the website, you fill out the initial application, which is a very initial application. And then 
that comes in. And there's some people that are, you know, we don't, we don't do diabetic alert dogs because that's a different kind of training. It's a smell-based training. Yeah. We don't do dogs for the blind. So, you know, some people were initially just assessing what is the disability you want a dog for and are we appropriate? So that's the first kind of screen. And then, um, we have a phone interview, um, through the process. And that's, again, asking, you know, service dogs have to be doing some kind of a task. And they're different from therapy dogs and emotional support dogs in that they have public access. They're basically considered through the, you know, the Disability Act, almost like a medical device. That's why they're rated that they can go everywhere with you. So, you know, we have to make sure that people don't just want a therapy dog, which there's nothing wrong with a therapy dog, right. and we're starting to use some of our release dogs as therapy dogs, but but they're not a task-based service dog. So that's the next kind of level in the interview. And then if, if it's still going through it, we get doctor's records. We have conversations with doctors. We um, sometimes, not always, um, for PTSD, there is a, a mental health um, form that goes with it because we want to make sure that the person is able to consistently care for a dog and is ready to do that. And then you have an on-campus interview. We kind of look at the dog handling and that, that doesn't necessarily throw you out. Like if you've never had a dog and you're not a great dog handler, it just means we know that when you come for training, you need probably a little extra time on that. And we're going to be ready to help you with that. Um, and then after all that goes, um, you go on the wait list to come to team training, which can be anywhere from six months to, I think it's about 18 months is the outside right now. We, we're trying. That's why we need more dollars, more dogs <laughs> to get that wait list down. Um, and then you come to team training for two weeks. And during team training, you're there with a few other clients um, and you all go through the classes together. And obviously this is modified a bit right now. And uh, you get pre-matched with a dog on kind of the third day. And usually those work out, but sometimes if there's an issue, you're not bonding with the dog or, you know, the dog doesn't seem strong enough or something, we'll bring in a, we always have a couple more dogs than we need. Okay. And then you go through the two weeks and then you graduate. It's a big, big, big deal, big emotional ceremony. Yeah. And then you go home and then we follow wow. up. What kind of dogs are they usually and how old are they? They are um, yellow and black lab and golden retriever crosses. Almost all of them. We breed all our dogs. And they are with a breeder caretaker volunteer till eight weeks. Then they go to a volunteer puppy raiser eight weeks to 18 months. They turn into a campus on 18 months for our professional training, which is anywhere from four to eight months. So they're anywhere from about you know, 22 months to usually right around two years when they get paired. Okay. And so I'm just curious, and not to uh, look at the, the sad aspects, but really the, the bond is so close between dog and human. When the dog is getting older, is that something where you bring in a young dog before the older dog is no longer able to perform? Or what is that transition to a new dog like? Great question. So we work with the graduate on when the dog needs to retire. So it, it can depend. Some dogs, you know, if they've had a really physical team, you know, they're pulling wheelchairs a lot, mm -hmm. you know, that might be different than a dog that is a facility dog who works with someone to go into hospitals to visit patients. Those are different kinds of dogs. But we work and work with the graduate and help decide when the dog needs to retire. Um, at that point, they are put in a successor 
application pool, which does move faster than a normal application pool. The dog sometimes stays in the home. Usually if there's other people in the home, the dog can stay. Sometimes it goes to a family member. Um, it can be very hard for the uh, retired dogs to stay yeah. with a working dog. It can be very hard on them. Oh, because they, it wants to go do It the wants duty. to work, and it right. doesn't understand yeah, why like, it's get out not of my way anymore. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes it, I mean, a lot of people do keep their, their retired dogs. Some people don't. They give it to a family member. Um, we retain ownership of all the dogs so that, you know, we can take care of them. So sometimes it'll come back to us, and we'll replace it. Oh, that makes me, again, get all sort of like teary-eyed thinking of a dog retiring, you know, just like, yeah. how do you take that dog and like, okay, bye, you know, yeah, just what a, a moment that is. Ugh. Like the graduate I'm talking about has his retired dog and his working dog. Right. It's just, yeah. they work it out, but it's, it's very common that they it's the, the graduate. It's the ultimate human dog bonding would be yes. the yes. TCI, right? Yeah. We think that we love our dogs and we're close to them. This is... A whole lot more. And there are, you have over a thousand, did I recall a hundred or is over a thousand puppies that you have out there right now? Oh, we have, um, I think we have, I should know this number. I think it's between 1,200 and 1,400 puppies out there right now. Really? At facilities just around the country? With or? volunteers. And oh, then right. we have, at any given time, we probably have about a thousand in training. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so that's a big network of dogs and following. Well, you have almost 5,000 volunteers, yep. right? Oh, yep. oh, and I don't want to forget that. What, how, if people are listening to this thing, God, I would just love to volunteer and get involved in that. Is there a way for them to do that? Yes, our website is cci.org. And there is a volunteer button. You can apply to be a volunteer and it comes straight into the region you're in. And one of the, one of the volunteer checkboxes says... Um, are you relatively nice or super nice? So you got to click that one. You got to click that one. Actually, it's it does not on there yet. I'm going to work on it after the podcast. Yeah, yeah. we probably should yeah. add that. <laughs> Are you a member of the Super Nice Club? Yeah. Um, no, that's great. Um, volunteering for this would be great. I, for a little while, have volunteered. I've only done it a couple of times, but, you know, what's it called when you foster? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's hard. It's so hard to give up the dog. So um, I, we have different kinds. We have the breeder caretakers that are more here at National, but at our other campuses, which are Ohio, Long Island, Florida, Orlando area, Dallas, Texas, and then we have one in Southern California near Oceanside. You can be a puppy raiser, but there's a lot of other things. And fostering and babysitting is also mm -hmm. one of them. So if okay. either a graduate or a um, puppy raiser wants to go on a trip and they need someone to watch their dog for a week or something, that's another kind of volunteering. You can also help with events and then you can help handle the dogs at the events. I know what you mean. I fostered when we had to clear all the campuses for COVID. My family and I fostered three of the puppies in training. Um, and we got I cried when I brought them. And I was bringing back to my campus. I still go see them in the kennels, but I cried. <laughs> well, my last foster has uh, his own Instagram page, so I get to check him out. You know, <laughs> yeah. so I, just, I still get to see him, and he's a huge, a huge dog. So what else are you guys doing out there? You're training dogs. You're pairing them. Is there anything else that you guys do in your day-to-day -day at CCI? 
Sure. So we do a lot of research. Um, we are we have one of the largest databases of lab and golden retriever DNA in, in the country, oh. if not the world. Um, so we do a lot of research. We're doing canine cognition studies. We do them with Duke University and Purdue and all these, um, Habri, all these big groups. Um, so we're really a leader in actually animal science on the canine side and, and, you know, what makes a good service dog. We're doing research to figure out what are the traits that then are, will be heritable that we can put back into our dogs to get a higher success rate out of our, our lineage. Um, so that's kind of exciting and cool. And a lot of people don't know we do that. Are you using, um, are you using CRISPR? You know, the CRISPR, the gene, uh, gene spicing, you know, with the... Uh, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, come on. No. Use CRISPR, we're pretty, it's faster. Um, yeah. we're, our, our veterinary staff is very committed to the health of the dog, so I, I'm always impressed to the point of I felt like I have to rescue dogs. And when I came here, I was like, Ooh, I'm a horrible dog owner. <laughs> like they made me feel so bad. You do brush their teeth, Paige. I'm like, mm, no. I give them the little cookie things. That's supposed to brush their teeth, right? <laughs> I give them those dental chews. They're like, exactly. No. So <laughs> brush their teeth. So gold retrievers, them. gold retrievers in labs. I used to have, and I think I've seen them in service work before, but I've had a couple of times, beautiful dogs called Anatolian shepherds. Ooh. You ever heard of Anatolians? Yes. I They're have. Kind of a handful. Beautiful. They're kind of a handful, um, but have you guys ever... So early on, we did uh, poodles, corgis. We did um, train German shepherds at one point. We actually tried training rescue dogs at one point. Oh, okay. And, and the, the challenge with rescue dogs for service dogs is, of course, there are those diamonds out there that aren't so damaged or worried that, you know, or anxious that they'll make it. But you never know with a rescue dog what's going to trigger them, which makes oh, it hard right. to get them through. Because our dogs literally have to walk past a squirrel and not look at it. Mm. They have to be able to walk on any surface. They can't be spooked. Like, if you think about a dog being the right-hand person to someone in a wheelchair, they can't bark. They can't, like get scared and run after something because the person in the wheelchair will be, you know, flying after them. So, so they're pretty, you know, Teflon. And so we've tried a lot of different things, but this, this kind of combination of breeds has really worked out well. Retrievers tend to be more pleasers. Labs tend to have a little more drive. So we kind of end up with the right combination of both. Wow. So I hear tell also that you have put together some sort of uh, dating game. Oh, our magic of the match. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the way we match the dogs is kind of like the dating game. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, so we match the dogs with like a dating game concept, like this person likes the outdoors, this dog likes to run. So we do all that in our matching, which we're pretty well known for a really like a 98% success on our rat matches. They really work. And um, we also have people who kind of meet at our team trainings. And we have a couple of stories of people who have met at team training and end up getting married. Really? Yeah, it's kind of nice. Oh, that's really great. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's what a neat way to, uh, to say, where did you guys meet, right? Yeah, When exactly. you were talking about the, the magic of the match, I was just sort of imagining these labs, you know, swiping left <laughs> on humans. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Like, you really see, so it's, it's really cool. In non-COVID times, we employees get to go to the pre-match. And 
it's so fun because you see people are like, I knew it. I loved this dog. Like, because they get to work with the dogs for a few days before. So it's, right. it is pretty cool. We, we kind of, if someone has a jovial personality and there's a dog that's a little more mischievous, that might be a match. Or, you know, right. if there's someone that's really gentle and soft-spoken and we have kind of these little lover dogs who just are very calm. It's, it's fun to watch because you really see people bond. That's great. I, I just, I love everything that you're doing out there. It is amazing. I mean, I love all dogs too. And I have my two pets that are great. Um, our dogs are just so tuned in. I, it's just, when I had the dogs as foster, I, there was a Sunday that I was just super tired and in the middle of the start of all the COVID stuff and I sat down on the floor and I just kind of put my head in my hands in my kitchen and this foster professional training dog <laughs> came over and literally sat as close to me as he could and just put his head on my shoulder and just sat there. Wow. <laughs> I was like, wow, that was really impressive. <laughs> they yeah. know body language. They know. Yeah. Is that also olfactory? Do they pick up some of the sort of um, emotional you know, cues through? Do they know how? I think, yeah. So one of the things we train in PTSD is if someone like puts their head down in their hands, one of mm -hmm. the commands we actually train is the dog will go and put their head up um, underneath the hands up into the face oh, to kind of nudge, oh. to kind of like, hey, it's okay. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty neat. That's that's adorable. Um, we sort of wrap these up, the the podcast, by asking the hallowed guest, which is you, Paige. <laughs> hallowed, to I like that. <laughs> issue a super nice challenge to the members, something that the members can do to make their their world a little nicer or the, the world at large a little nicer. Um, do you have any kind of challenge you can put out there? Uh, that's a great idea. Um, here would be my challenge in this time of inclusion and diversity awareness is the next time you see someone with a disability, mm -hmm. with or without a dog, um, look them in the eye, say hello, don't avoid talking to them, ask them how they are, ask them where they're from, ask them, you know, treat them like you would any other person. Hopefully that's in a nice way. Um, because I think <laughs> that is such an enriching thing for both of you. Um, and then you could always donate to something that would help them like, oh, I don't know, a service dog organization like Canine Companions. But, but I, one of the Absolutely. things I, <laughs> that's one of the things I've really, really noticed is I think we all have a bias an unintentional bias to kind of feel sorry for people with disabilities or to their, their path that we have an employee here who is, um, uses a wheelchair and she talks about how people literally pat her on the head when they talk Ooh. to her oh. and it's just so just be aware that this is not a pathetic group of people at all this is right. really empowered usually incredibly optimistic and strong and more positive than most of us group of people mm -hmm. and so i would challenge people to let that enrich your life like look at them and get to know them and interact in a normal way and find out how much better you will feel and how much you will realize, wow, I probably need to look at the world through a positive light a little more. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's really well said. And it just kind of brings to mind that 
you know, it seems like sometimes people will look at someone, let's say, you know, I don't, I'm not even going to name the type of, of physical challenge that they're dealing with. And they'll say, oh, you know, that just really reminds me of how lucky I am. Yeah. Right? And yeah, we do. But maybe that is also a little bit demeaning when we think of it that way. Right? And I have right. to consider that. It's, and it's, yeah. And it's it's not coming from a mean place. No, but I think, no. It's I think my life, uh, I have learned so much from our graduates. I have learned so much about how to look at things through a different scan or how to, you know, think of things in a different way or how to be patient, you know, <laughs> how to, mm-hmm. like, we're all so spoiled. And, and um, I think in this country, if, if, the current situation has taught us nothing that discomfort is something we don't really tolerate very well. And, no. and we are very used to creature comforts. Yeah, and true. I've learned a lot about, you know, being uncomfortable or having some challenges as you go through your day isn't necessarily even a bad thing. It's just a different thing. And it can actually give you a whole different I don't know, set of experiences or openness to people, you know, realizing your strength. There's just so much power in it that 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 is a real lesson. I agree. It's it's uh, definitely one of the big COVID lessons that, that we're all hopefully that we're taking to heart. And then we end this with a question for me. You can ask me anything. If you have any question for me, anything you want to know about me, about the Super Nice Club, about I don't know. Just shoot. So why did you start this? What made you start this? And what was your goal? Uh, The Super Nice Club was originally started really just on a whim after a daydream that I had while I was gardening um, in Santa Rosa. And I had this daydream about uh, a young girl who was sort of going through a crisis of faith, like a literal crisis of faith. Um, She was... I'm a writer, so I had these pretty extended daydreams. They just put it that way. You know, they're very, very visual. Um, But she was brought into a church where they said, hey, you know, do you want um, to uh, uh, follow this guy? Like our, 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 uh, you know, Jesus, he's like a superhero. He can do anything, you know? And she's like, wow, that sounds really cool. You know, yeah, you know? Uh, And then she went through, as she got older, she started seeing all the divisions in the church. She started seeing scandals, all this kind of stuff. And she's like, you know what? This isn't for me. I'm going to go start my own club because they originally said to her do you want to join our club you know it's like a three-year-old i'm gonna start my own club but it's gonna be open to everybody of any faith or no faith the only thing you have to do is just be nice that's it that's all you do is be nice that's the only rule not even the golden rule which is almost sort of reciprocity you know you have the expectation yeah. of reciprocity uh, yep. it's just be nice and i'm gonna call it the super nice club and i was like well that's a kind of a really good idea uh, so I got up, I went inside the house, I designed a logo, um, just for fun, for Facebook, and it just kind of took off from there, you know, just organically cool. grew from there. And so once it started going, I thought, you know what, there's something to this. Let's just do something where we don't set the bar too high, but let's just try to make the world 10% nicer. So it's apolitical, and it's certainly a-philosophical, if you want to put it that way. And it is. It's, it's the idea of just having something that anybody can get behind with a very low bar. 
That's great. It's kind of a weird origin story <laughs> when I tell it. You know, no, it's, like, it's a great story. You know, yeah. Daydreaming of a young girl, you know, and uh, religion. <laughs> I'm like, no, you know, it's not that. It's just like, you know, it's daydreams. Um, so, yeah, and it's it's been marvelous. It's been, it's been really neat. It's allowed me to really analyze myself and the work that I have to do network with people like yourself that are doing really cool stuff. I mean, how great is that? How great is it to just be doing something where you're in touch with people who inspire you to do better? I mean, that's kind of been a great thing. And it also because I was no longer doing nonprofit work at the time. I had been doing nonprofit work for several years. I went back into corporate. And when I was back in corporate, I was just feeling like, oh, I'm not helping the world at all. I'm living yeah. this sort of extractive life. So Super Nice Club was my way of trying to balance that out. That's you know? great. And now I'm and out now of corporate and I'm just doing this and writing. That's great. Yeah, um, screenplays. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a whole lot of fun. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I really appreciate you being on today. Everybody, cci.org to check out the work being done, to read really cool stories, really inspiring stories, to volunteer, uh, to do monthly giving. I'm assuming you probably have a monthly giving opportunity. We do. We yeah, okay. very good. <laughs> monthly, we call them monthly miracle makers. Monthly miracle makers. Uh, yep. If you like dogs and have a soul, go to the monthly miracle makers. And shout out to John and to Charmaine. You guys know who you are. You're the reason why I'm talking right now with Charmaine. Uh, Paige. Doing great. Is she? Of course, she is. Paige Mazzoni, thank you for being on the Nice Work Podcast. Really wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. So there you have it. A super nice conversation with super nice Paige Mazzoni of Canine Companions International. Again, if you're interested in, in supporting financially or just volunteering for CCI, go to cci.org right now. Tell them that you're super nice and uh, they'll give you a discount on how much you donate. No, that doesn't work that way. The story that she tells about the person that is just so improved by his interaction with CCI and with his canine companion that he couldn't imagine life any other way, that he would not trade his, his canine support and go back to his old life, that didn't make you feel something. Uh, you weren't listening. You weren't listening or, or you're super drunk. So sober up and listen again because this, the work that CCI is doing is just incredible. It's just incredible. I'm, I'll admit I'm a huge dog lover, okay? Huge dog lover. Like horses, kind of, you know, that movie Black Beauty back in the day. Loved it. Just watched it again. Alec, right? Was the kid's name was Alec? Yeah. Anyway, um, and Farlap. Remember Farlap, the Australian? Anyway, I, I, I like old movies about dogs and horses. What are you going to do? Thank you for listening. Thanks for getting behind the Super Nice Club, for being a member, for subscribing to the podcast, which you've done, right? You've subscribed to the podcast. Have you left a review? Have you left a review? That would be awesome. Also, into feedback, into guest ideas, someone who's passionate about their work that should get up here and talk about it. Um, would be great. Just give us, uh, give us a shout, a call, a text, uh, an email. There's so many ways to get a hold of Super Nice Club now. We're all contemporary and stuff. Whatever you're doing, whoever you are, wherever you are, I hope that the world is being kind to you and that you're being nice and kind back. All right, see you next week. Stay nice, everyone. I'm putting down my rifle and a suit in this war. 